Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. And you're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to thelandofisrael.com radio network and media network. This is the Ishai Fleischer Show, and we are at Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov in the heart of Jerusalem's Nachlaot neighborhood. This amazing institution is where beautiful light of Torah comes out to the world. And uh, this portion of our show is always called Spiritual Cafe, and it's with Rabbi Mike Foy. Rabbi Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to see you, Shai. It's great to be here. I don't feel so good today, Rabbi Mike, physically speaking. I'm just a, I'm a little bit under the weather, um, you know, uh, head full of cold and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, I've trudged, tr- what is the word? I've Trudged. I've trudged over here uh, to do a little radio with you because this is uh, how to prepare for this Torah portion. And we also have a very special holiday coming up this Shabbat. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And one of, the, one of the challenges in the book of Leviticus is that right here, somewhere around the middle of the book of, of Leviticus, before we get to the laws of torts, and uh, you know the laws of criminal punishment and the laws of uh, theft and the laws of sexual morality and immorality and all these things that actually we we have a, a grasp on we understand what they are because they're part of our life there are sections uh, in the book of Leviticus that seem to be things that we just don't really deal with on a day-to-day basis uh, we talked a little bit about the korbanot the offerings uh, the animal sacrifices and yet, even animal sacrifices, you could make a kind of, you, you kind of get it, you ca- because you eat animals. That's why you have a visceral connection to it. Right, and you, and you can understand what it means for an animal to die. You've seen a dead animal on the side of the road, or whatever it is. And we are still serving God. I mean, the general category of the sacrifices is avodah, is, is service. So, though we primarily do it through prayer today, the uh, nature of the relationship is still there. Right, but when it comes to the topic that we're going to cover today, which is, um, uh, what do we call these things? Biblical leprosy? Right, they don't... I, I, saw, I mean, in Hebrew, there are negaim. Negaim. Right, and, and uh, a, a nega is always a, a, um, a blow. But what's really interesting is it can also mean a, um, a coming up against or an encounter. So it's it's really a, a well, it's a boo boo. I just want to describe it first for people. We're talking a about a wound. It's some kind of it's some kind of wound. Boil a boil a, a white spot, uh, and uh, what it certainly is not is some kind of disease that you need to be quarantined for on a very physical sense that it will be communicated um, to In, another person. Infectious disease, right? It's it's definitely not that, and that's very clear from the laws because. Uh, for example, if somebody has that infectious disease during one of the major holidays, the, the festival holidays, the Kohen does not, the, the, the spiritual doctor does not look at it. Meaning to say, we don't look at it on the holiday not to ruin the holiday, we look at it afterwards, but you're going to be mingling with people. We're not concerned that you're going to be able to pass this through the regular uh, mode of infection. That's because we see it as an expression of God's will and not simply um, an epidemiological How do you say it? Epidemi- epidemiological problem. <laughs> so what we're talking about here are uh, spiritual boo-boos uh, that happen to you when you do bad. Now, the first thing is, is that how are we supposed to look at these kind of makot, these kind of uh, wounds? Uh, on the one hand, you know, when you, when you stub your toe, it's like, damn it, you're, like, oh, you're jumping up and down, you're cursing like a sailor, like Popeye or something, you're like, oh. but, but the Torah wants us to think something different about, about getting, getting a, a wound of some kind. 
It wants us to remember that God is kind of sending us a little signal. Fix your ways. Uh, uh, don't turn, turn, turn in that direction. I don't like the direction you're going to. Or in this case, more specifically, I don't like what's coming out of your mouth. Now, is that, is that something positive or is that something negative? When I get that stub of my toe, I feel a, a lot of negativity at first. But maybe uh, the, the real perspective is, wow, God saw it fit to communicate with me and to give me a little, as they say in Yiddish, a patch, <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little slap, a little flick uh, to get me back on the right path. So uh, perhaps a little bit of historical perspective on, on Tzara'at, on, on this, uh, these, as you call them, divine boo-boos. Right? We, we see the appearance here in Leviticus in these, in these two portions, very intensive description of the nature of what they look like and how to identify and how to categorize. Um, and then in the narrative portions of the rest of the Bible, we see a few key stories um, regarding kings of Israel. We actually get one more story here in, in the Bible itself regarding Miriam, uh, Moshe's sister. We see a few key stories in the Bible. And what unites them all consistently is that people in positions of importance who do wrong in sensitive situations, that the um, tzarat, these nigaim, these, these uh, blemishes, come forth as a sign of God's disfavor. So in that sense, I think it contains the answer to your question, which is that all negative actions have consequence. And you know, the sages teach us that the source of these, these, uh, these blemishes is what we call lashon hara, right? Evil tongue. is speaking ill of others. It's actually specifically speaking ill of others even though it's true, which is something even more refined. I mean, it's simple in mind of the Torah that lying is wrong. But here we're speaking about saying things which are true about others, which cast them in a bad light, which, which arouse bad feelings. Which are damaging. Which are damaging in some way or another. And the reason it's so important that, um, to have that historical context is that at a certain point the sages say that that Lashon um, Hara, that uh, evil speech became so com- common that God actually removed this punishment. It's a bit strange. You think, well, when things get out of hand... The punishment That's where should, the kibosh comes down. Right, exactly. The punishment should get more severe. But in that, you can see that it's not just a punishment. It's actually a blessing. As is true, really, on some level of all punishments because it is an expression of divine care. I mean, you're a parent, right? And you understand that, that our aspiration when we punish our children is always for their good. Okay, we, we all have our moments of anger and weakness. I don't pretend to be perfect. But, but, but the general goal... Right, I think it's summed up in the prophets, right? If you look in Amos, one of the most important lines in my mind in, in the latter prophets is that Amos says, only you amongst all the families of the world have I known, says God. So what's the follow-up to that line? Therefore what? I will punish you for your sins, right? Because it is an expression of love because if when you do wrong, it doesn't hurt. There's no consequence. Then you'll never know that it's wrong and you won't then cease and do right. And so this whole Torah portion in my mind is consistent with the rest of the book of Leviticus, which is expressing the intimacy of the divine concern that Am Yisrael be a holy people. When you're a servant to the king, the closer you are, the more you can get a smack. For sure. If you mess up. And that's really a part of the, a part of the inner narrative of the Bible, which is, I love you, but you're close to me, so you're also going to quote-unquote suffer, or, or you, you're going you're gonna to see also the my wrath side because you're very, very close to me, and I'm <laughs> judgmental. My expectations of you are very high. That's right. That's right. That's one issue that you brought up. And the other issue is 
that if you ask the average Gentile, what is Judaism about? They'll tell you it's about the Sabbaths. It's a tell, they'll tell you about maybe circumcision. They'll tell you maybe about uh, side locks or, or any external you know, looks. Um, and it's certainly about eating kosher. Things that make us, uh, make Jewish people evidently different than the Gentiles and, and maybe putting on phylacteries, tefillin. Uh, there's a lot of these things that, that you, know, you can identify Jewish people as. That and Seinfeld and bagels. Uh, those are, that's what Judaism is, and in Israel, philosophy. Which, by the way, is true for the average Jew as well. That's right. That's the average Jew might say that as well. But what you may not know as a Gentile, or maybe if you're an a, a, a average Jew or not yet a fully learned Jew, is that the issues of cleanliness of speech uh, are, are a big deal. If, and one example is one of the greatest uh, teachers in the semi in the in the a little bit before the modern era the Chafetz Chaim a hundred years ago in Radin uh, was a, a great uh, Torah scholar uh, wrote a compendium to the Shulchan Aruch uh, but uh, t- t- teaching all of Torah law but his main kind of uh, a goal in life was to teach the issues of Shmirat HaLashon keeping your tongue pure, keeping your, 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 your mouth clean, your, 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 your words proper. And I can say even about myself, a person who, uh, who, whose mouth is probably you know, his, his strongest muscle and, and uh, you know, the most worked muscle, uh, um, is, that, is, is that I don't know if we are in consonance with the incredible uh, focus that the Torah puts on the issues of, of proper speech. It's... It, um training to the sensitivity and I think that that's why the sages connect these portions, these Torah portions with the idea of, of evil speech because what we see here in the sort of details of the law is a tremendous sensitivity to differentiate between two hairs and one hair. You know, the, the width of a, of a barley corn versus the width of a wheat corn. Like a, for these, a, for these various blemishes, right? And the color of, of the yolk of an egg versus the color of, you know, the yellow of the sun, etc. The, the tremendously fine distinctions that, are the, that the kohanim, that the priests are being asked to make, is a training and, and, and an embodiment of the level of sensitivity that one needs to bring to speech. Because like I said before, most people, though we may do it at times, will say, yes, lying is wrong. You know, deliberately hurting another people with, person with your speech is wrong. But most of us, you know, give you an example. Would you think twice about praising someone who you really loved and genuinely felt was appropriate to praise because of the concern that there might be someone listening who didn't like that person and in hearing them praised, their dislike for that person would be increased? Well, I don't, I, you know, the answer to that is actually yes. You know, you, you, because you've trained yourself right, to Right, you've it. trained yourself to it. Or, or in Judaism, it's common that people will say, let's say my boss will take me somewhere and he'll say, well, you know, with me is, is Yishai, but, you know, of course I'm not going to speak in front of him, you know, his value because that's part, part of the Jewish training. Or oftentimes in Jewish training, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll meet people and you'll talk about something and you'll be like, well, this rabbi, and I won't mention his name, did X, Y, and Z, and I didn't like that. There's a lot of times a removal of the name of the person that you may speak about uh, for a useful purpose, but you don't want to get that person in trouble. When you're in the Jewish world, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, but you, we've already kind of, we already, we, it's part of our regular speech patterns. We've been sensitized, but, but in many ways, we've also lost a deep sensitivity to the physical manifestation. In the same way, this is, I see as a part, of, part and parcel of exile is that desensitization to how these um, intellectual and spiritual concepts are meant to be embodied, 
right? And that, that our service of God is meant to be embodied in the sacrifices, that our, that our sensitivity to speech is meant to be embodied in something like tzara'at, right? And there are many examples, right? The, the very idea of the embodiment of our meeting with God in the temple, which for many people is a confusing notion of the sanctity of place. Um, you know, th- this is part of exile, because exile is a process of disembodiment. And on one hand, that allows us to sensitize to certain things. On the other hand, we become numb to many others. Um, there's another component of speech which I've only become sensitized to through the readings of Rav Arush, which basically uh, he pointed out and, and convinced me, I think, I think he showed quite convincingly, that one of the biggest problems that the Torah shows in terms of spe- speech is complaining. Oh, yeah. Complaining. And he shows that almost God's wrath is almost never kindled until there's a complaining. Whenever there's a complaining of the lot, instead of a thanking uh, uh, God for all the gifts that he's given us, uh, whenever there's a complaint in the Torah, it's like that really kindles God's wrath. And as a parent, also, you feel that sometimes. You know, you take the kids out on a long day, you give them, you know, you take off a day of work, you drive them somewhere far, it costs a lot of money, you feed them lunch, this and that, and at the end of the day, the kid says to you, but I want ice cream. You say, but I don't want you to have ice cream for this or that reason, and then the kid starts to cry. Everything falls apart. Right, and you're like, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just gave you a full day. You do not appreciate the incredible, you know, chesed, the kindness that I've done with you all day and, and sacrifice on my part. And, and, and now you're going to be complaining. There's something about the, the there's a magic, a dark magic to complaining. <laughs> and that's uh, also part of speech. Uh, and, and that harkens back to what I said in the beginning, which is sometimes you get a punishment or something doesn't go perfectly right for you. And we as human beings, very, very now, very, very me-centered, uh, are like, why did this happen to me? When A, you should be thinking, well, what does this teach me? And B, maybe this has been good for me. Maybe this traffic jam has been good for me. Maybe this flat tire has just saved my life, and so on and so forth. We, we in, that, in that selfish moment, in that self-centered moment, we kind of negate God, we forget God. That Sarat helps you remember what it's all about. And it comes down to a critical choice, as you said, between gratitude and, and ingratitude, as expressed through complaining. And in many ways, you know, um, I fall on the line of, I'm not sure whether in some existential sense, the traffic jam is good or bad for me. Um, and I can imagine saying, oh, I, you know, I, I avoided an accident or et cetera. But what I do know is that I have the power to make it good or bad. And that power is so often expressed, as you said, either in gratitude or, or complaint. Well, speaking of gratitude, uh, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. And I am grateful to thelandofisrael.com, founded by, by my friends uh, Ari and Jeremy. Ari Brown with Jeremy Gimpel. And you can reach me at Ishai at the Land of Israel. Dot com. I also want to thank Jack, who dedicates the show to his wife Lillian and to his sister Sarah and their great families, which I miss very much and hope look forward to seeing the summer here in the land of Israel. I also want to thank the good people at uh, Capone Defense, CaponeDefense.com, uh, Capone, like K-A-P-O-N, Defense.com. Um, if you want to get training, uh, shooting, uh, self-defense, uh, reaction times, uh, strengthening, uh, your trigger finger and, and, and your mental trigger finger as well about how to deal uh, with, the, with the challenges uh, of defending the Jewish people and the Jewish state. Uh, check out uh, Avi at uh, Capone Defense and you'll, uh, you'll see an amazing improvement as I have in training with him. And I, I really, I do believe that that is part of Judaism today. Part of Zionism is not only a return to the land and a return to Judaism, but it's also a return to Jewish self-defense 
and uh, and the ability to return violence uh, with uh, with our own um, ability to return violence with violence, but controlled uh, and measured and and accurate, uh, so that uh, the Jewish people will be defended and that nobody innocent will be hurt. So check out Capone Defense. And, of course, I'm thankful to you, Rabbi Mike Foyer, who uh, you join me almost every week. I was away for a little bit in D.C., but it's great to be back with you here uh, in Beit Midrash Sulam Yaakov, and that is sulamyaakov.com. Check that out. Now we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit for the second part of Spiritual Cafe, and we're going to talk about um, a holiday that is happening this Shabbat. It's a very special Shabbat coming up. Uh, It's a kind of... um, it, it's all coming together this Shabbat, and that's because it's going to be Shabbat, it's going to be Rosh Chodesh, and it's going to be not just any Chodesh, but also this semi-holiday, which, which is its own, I don't, I don't even exactly know why it's not its own like more major holiday, but it is a major holiday in Jewish, in, 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 Jewish, um, in the events that happened to it in Jewish history, and that is the first day of Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the month of Nisan. And it's got, as I have the Rabbi Kitov book, I recommend this to everybody, the book of our heritage. It comes in English and in Hebrew. It comes in small and big. You have to own the book of our heritage, Jew or Gentile. And the, um, the book of our heritage says the following. It says, our sages said, the first of Nisan was crowned with 10 crowns. It was the first day of creation. It was the day when the first of the princes of the tribes, Nachshon ben Aminadav, offered his sacrifice. It was the day when Aharon began his duties as Kohen, for until then the divine service had been the task of the firstborn, uh, and then the Kohenim take over. It was the first day of the communal uh, divine service. It was the first day that the divine fire descended from heaven. It's the first day that the sanctified portions of the sacrifices were eaten only within certain sanctified limits for when sacrifices could be offered on private altars, the sanctified portions of the offerings could be eaten anywhere. Meaning to say, in other words, that 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 God is here, God is there, God is truly everywhere. No, now God is hanging out with God means hanging out here, and eventually only in, in the environs of Jerusalem. It was the first day in which God's presence dwelt amongst the people. As the verse says, I will dwell in your midst. It was the first day in which the Kohanim blessed the people with special priestly blessing. As it says, and Aharon lifted up his hands and blessed them. It's the first day on which the use of private altars became prohibited. And finally, it was the first day of the beginning of the months. And it's also the first commandment. Count, uh, the, 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 the start the cycle, the, the, the month, uh, the calendar year. From this date in the land of Egypt, we get this commandment. And here we go. The clock starts here. The stopwatch starts now till Messiah. And the thing that unites these all is the notion of chidush, that something new is born here. Um, and it's, it's actually quite critical. So the first item in that list there was that this was the first day of creation, right? And, and this is a, a, a very old machlok, a very old argument between the sages of the Mishnah, whether the world was created in Nisan or whether it was created in Tishrei. Right, and the the way in which we basically reconcile that is to say that the physical world was created in Nisan, and that and that that Adam was perhaps born in Tishrei. There are other ways to look at the argument, but but 
the key is is that this whole day, and you ask, like, why doesn't it have its own holiday? And the answer, I think, is because it's part of the buildup to Passover, to Pesach, to the, to the holiday of freedom. Right. right? And, and, it, and it plays this critical place in understanding the role that chidush, that newness, plays in freedom. Innovation. Uh, yeah, innovation, but not just innovation, something which is truly yesh me'ain, right? That we as, a, like, something out of nothing. Right? We ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. Thank you for that term. Right? We as a Jewish people have fought this I love battle. the Latin ones. Yeah, I love well, the Latin it's, ones. It's, it's, it's the... Uh, I like the Latin ones and, and the French political ones. They're great terms, you know? And you can throw them around and people I are just, I just love that. Entente, détente. <laughs> it's great. Oh, ho, ho. Um, <laughs> the, the, the reason it's so important, we as a Jewish people have fought this battle for thousands of years to Which argue battle? that the world was created something out of nothing. Right. Ex nihilo. Right. I mean, you realize that... I thought it was. I thought a, a lightning bolt hit a mud pit and then like lizards came out, and that's us. Well, that could be, as long as that in the beginning there was nothing. Meaning, don't, don't mistake this argument with one about mechanism. Well, you and I can have the evolution discussion some other time. I've got a lot to say on that, my first degree being in geology. Okay. Right? Um, but my point is, is that if you would ask any scientist 100 years ago, how old is the universe... They would have laughed you out of the room as a Bible-thumping fanatic. You realize that? Because they were still working on the Greek notion of the eternality of the universe. right? And so science has caught up. Right? Today, it's only an argument about how old it is, not whether it had a beginning. Wow. right? And the amazing thing is, is, what do they call that beginning? You know, what preceded the Big Bang? You know what they call it? No. The singularity. The singularity. Yes, that's when all of creation was in one thing. Interesting. Sound familiar? Right? Meaning, the, and, and the question that scientists don't even have the capacity to ask, much less answer, is what preceded that? What, in essence, what caused the bang? Right? And, and this is where we get into the difference between the perspective of the Torah and the scientists. The scientists are all about mechanism, which is a very powerful tool. Science can ask lots of questions about how, what, where, when. The one question that science doesn't really touch is... Why? Right? And this is, of course, what, what our story is about. And it comes to the heart of why all these things here happened on Rosh Chodesh Nisan and why it's so important that it was something out of nothing. Well, you know, time has two, uh, at least two, but two obvious kind of um, properties. One is it's circular. Mm-hmm. I, I have a watch, my Casio here, that I've worn for years until actually a terrorist uh, rock knocked this exact watch off and I had to get the exact same one again. That's right. I was, rocks were thrown at me. Not, it, it hit my, my wrist here, knocked my watch off, and I lost it. I got the same one. What I really like about this watch is it's got two modes. It's got, it's got the dial mode, mm-hmm. meaning to say the analog. the analog or circular. Right. And time comes back again and again and again to the same meeting place. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then digital, i.e. from zero till. Right. And, and th- those are two components in time. Uh, one of the most dramatic ways to describe those two different components in time it happens on Simchat Torah, when we celebrate the Torah, and when we celebrate finishing the Torah. One part, after we finish reading the end of the five books of Moses, is that we start with Bereshit. Right. We go right we, back to the right beginning. Right back to the beginning. So the circle goes around. And the second part is that we start reading from the book of Joshua. Right? We read from the book of Joshua, i.e. Moving forward. Moving forward. Where are you taking that? And it happens exactly in the same day. I love that. I love that very much. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and, so, um, and so, you know, this Rosh Chodesh Nisan, on the one hand, we're, back to, we're coming back to Passover. We're coming back to Egypt 
and Exodus, and we're going to tell that story again to our children, and it goes back and forth. But there's something that could get some people as depressive in that. When it all goes around and around again, you could, you could, you could lose it a little bit. You could be like, well, what the hell is, you know, what's it all about? Where are we going? Where are we going with this? Like, we're doing this again, and so I'm going to have children, I'm going to make money, and this, that. People can get suicidal from those kind of thoughts, you know? They're God like, forbid. You know, God forbid, of course, God forbid. Um, on the other hand... Uh, there's a there's the rat race. There's the there's the you got to move it forward. You got to move the ball forward. And this year, you know, wh- wh- whoever's going to say uh, next year in Jerusalem, it means something. Uh, we're all going to say next year in Jerusalem at the Passover Seder. It means something different. We have moved along in time. Time is moving along. There's a change. We're no longer stuck. And I think we were also in the slavery of Egypt. We were stuck in a cycle. Now we're out of that cycle, and we're running. We're running towards the the uh, the goal line. This is the secret of the spiral of time. Because the, the um, commandment which you mentioned, the sanctification of the moon, which is the first commandment given to the Jewish people as a whole, in many ways it's the first step in the exodus from Egypt. When God takes us, he first says, sanctify the moon, and then he tells us to offer the Passover sacrifice, and it's only the next stage when we actually physically leave. And that sanctification of the moon is what introduces the moon into the solar calendar. Because, of course, the Hebrew calendar is... A, um, a combination of the sun, which represents that sort of sunrise, sunset, you know, sort of unending cyclical life, and the moon, which is born, it lives, and it dies. You know, we'll talk about the fact that it's reborn again in a minute, right? But in combining them in this moment, it created the spiral of time. What do I mean? Is yes, we believe ex nihilo, God created the world, and we believe let it be soon, let it be now, we're headed for a more perfect state. There is a linear element to time, right? And yet, like you said, we're passing through the year in the points of the year in, in every year. So I want you to picture now that, that as that line moves forward, it's not just one line. Picture it as 12 parallel lines. Those are the months of the year. And as you circle through each one, you're also moving forward and it creates a spiral. And there's that beautiful phrase in Hebrew, bayamim ha'im bazman hazeh. In those days, meaning that's the linear element. It was in the past. But at this time, it's the, cir- it's the cyclical circular element. Right? And the power of the spiral of time is it allows us to harness the spiritual energies which our ancestors actually experienced in history. Right, Our ancestors who physically went out of Egypt also implanted within our calendar the power of liberation. So we can harness that power today and use it to move ourselves forward. Right, which is a, a revolution in thought because we managed to combine the two fundamental models of the human experience of time. I think also within uh, this very deep thing that you just talked about is also hidden the concept of the transmigration of souls in that, in that we were all at Sinai, we were all in Egypt, we all left, uh, we all left slavery and bondage and we have to feel that way. Mm-hmm. We have to feel that way and, and, and almost use their uh, cellular right, experience <laughs> Uh, to help us uh, move forward. And I want to give you an example of that. Again, I'm, I'm coming back to the book of our heritage, a simply must-have book uh, on the Jewish bookshelf by Eliyahu Kitov. It's all about the holidays and much more. It's just, I'm telling you, I, I, have I said to you a lot of times you have to have a book? This is one of the must-have books. Um, he writes, In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the first signs of redemption from the Babylonian exile also appeared on the first of Nisan. It was on this day that the first group of people left to return to Jerusalem, as the verse states, and the first day of the first month was the beginning of the going up from Babel. This is in Ezra 7.9. We also find 
and it was in the month of Nisan, and he, Nehemiah, received permission to ascend to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and its walls, and the king sent officers and horsemen to accompany him. That's in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2.1. Just as the second redemption began on the first of Nisan, so too did it reach fulfillment on that day. Those who returned from Babylonia could not be considered fully redeemed until they had purified themselves of the influence of the nations amongst who they had sojourned, and until they had separated themselves from their foreign wives. Ezra and his associates directed their attention to this purpose, as the verse states, And they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter, and all the men sent back their heathen wives by the first day of the first month. Thus, when the following Nisan began, the people's redemption was complete, both physically and spiritually. And there's another important underlying factor, which we haven't mentioned. You know, the, the tabernacle which we spent all those weeks speaking about not so long ago, was finished being constructed on what day, do you know? Uh, a few days before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. No, on the 25th of Kislev. 25th, that's right, Hanukkah. Was, Hanukkah. Hanukkah, that's Months right. ago. That's right. Months ago it was finished, and then God said to Moshe, now wait. So, so the sages teach us that the people were devastated. They thought, Moshe, maybe there's something wrong. Moshe, maybe we didn't do it right. Moshe, maybe God doesn't love us. And he said, no, no, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. For what? For the month in which Yitzchak was born. What does that mean? Why was God waiting for the month in which Yitzchak was born in order to inaugurate the actual service in the Mishkan? Well, the servitude of Egypt was counted from the time that Yitzchak was born 400 years. Absolutely. Um, and 430. Altogether. Yeah. So, but the key is understanding what Yitzchak represents. His name, of course, means laughter. Right? And, you know, laughter in many ways is the greatest expression of freedom that a person can have. Right? I mean, just think about it just emotionally, the freedom of, I'm just going to laugh it off. You know, like there are situations that my wife and I often say to each other as parents, well, you can either laugh or cry. You know, <laughs> you know so let's go with the laughter since it's a lot, not just more pleasant, you know. Because the power, the laughter of Yitzchak is founded in the laughter of a man who's 99 years old, whose wife is 90. When God announces to Abraham, your wife, Sarah, she's going to have a child. She's been barren for 90 years. And Abraham laughs. He doesn't laugh as a derisive, yeah, whatever. He laughs because why? Because God has revealed to him that the world is not as he thought it was. That, that everything which has preceded this moment doesn't bind the next moment. The, the past doesn't dictate the future. That there's absolute freedom in the hands of God. And it's given over to Abraham in the person of Yitzchak. Yitzchak represents the fact that it's true. Listen, most of the time in life, things roll along. And the past, in many ways, does determine the present. But, and this is, by the way, in terms of our other discussions, this is one of the great things I believe the Zionists understood better than any other portion of Am Yisrael in their day. With a caveat that, that they didn't respect the past, but they understood that they could not let the past define their future. right? And, and so, therefore, they freed themselves with, again, like I said, there's damage that was done there as well. But in the same way that, that, that um, God says, listen, you want to meet me in the Mishkan? The last thing God wants is for us to put him in a box. We spent all this time making the box. It's beautiful. It's holy. It's, it took a lot of work. So, like, you know, we want God in the box. And please just stay there. God says, listen, I want to dwell within you, not in the box. You can meet me there. And so, therefore, we're going to wait till Nisan, until that month of laughter, of total freedom, of realizing, yes, the past got you to the present, but it doesn't dictate the future. And that's how I want you to come to me, new, every single day. 
renewal. Renewal is a very powerful, uh, very powerful concept. And Rabbi Nachman Breslov uh, had a concept that, that a person, when he's down in the dumps, should just basically, you, you're talking about laughter, he would just say, I just got born. I was just born right now. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to say, you know what? I was, uh, uh, like, m- my sins are gone. I'm a brand new baby right now. However, I have with me my experiences. And I'm, but I'm starting right now. And it even, it even says about him that there were a few days that he had started anew some 17 times. We need to say there was a few days in his life where he just was like, I'm starting again. Nope, th- that didn't start right. Start again. And, and that ability to, to, to restart is a very important concept in, in Rabbi Nachman's Torah. And not to get stuck with, uh, with depression, with whatever. You know, you know, you know the worst form of depression I have, I have seen. I don't know if the worst form. I don't need. I don't know if I need to use that term. But, but a, a horrible a catalyst for depression is the sense that people have that they've messed it up. They're yes. ruined. Yes. They, 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 it, it's unfixable, unsalvageable. You're playing Super Mario Brothers, and the game, and you know how to play it well, but you messed up. So you're like, forget it. It's basically over now. It it's doesn't over matter. now. It doesn't, even though I have another whatever, I already messed it up, and it's not going to be all the way perfect. So therefore. You know, I'm I'm not gonna finish the race. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be in the top three spots. So for, I'm just dropping out. And this is why the sages teach us chuvakadma laolam that the idea of repentance actually preceded creation. It's a little bit bizarre. We usually think of repentance as a um as a as a, a makeup. Like okay, I blew it, so God's nice to me. He lets me repent, right? In, in which case, if that were true, then I would always be left with the sense that yeah, but repentance is second best. Because okay, God's being nice to me, but but I blew it. So the sages say, no, 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 no. Repentance preceded the world, meaning that the idea of being able to free oneself from the past and step into a new relationship is what creation is about. right? And that's why I said it's so important that we fight that battle that the world was created something out of nothing because it's the nothingness, the chaos, which preceded it that gives us real freedom. So I make a mistake, whatever that mistake may be, and I decide, you know what? I'm not just going to say I'm sorry for that mistake. I'm going to say I'm no longer the person who did that. Now, that doesn't mean I divest myself of responsibility because, of course, real repentance means actually fixing the mistake to the extent that I can, owning it, and like you said, owning my experience. At the same time, owning my experience without letting it define me, right? Because I am new in every moment, and it's a tremendously powerful way of walking in the world, and it's the key step in, in the freedom that we're after on Pesach. Uh, there's a listener who I'm specifically thinking about. He knows who he is, uh, who's been through a lot of hardships, a lot of pains, um, and I think even a few periods of, of renewal. And yet, um, even that got got destroyed somehow. Mm. And he feels uh, um, he feels that life that life is over, that he cannot renew himself again. And I wanna I wanna give him a lot of strength right now through the show. Uh, through the prayer of everybody listening to the show, that our friend, uh, his name starts with A, uh, is uh, going to uh, have that renewal and that God will shine his face upon him and to him and that he will sense uh, that that life can go on. He's incredibly talented. He's incredibly gifted, but he's also been dealt a, a rough uh, a rough set of cards. Uh, but uh, his, his goodness and God's goodness is going to overcome all of those challenges, but we have to have it through faith, through that sense of renewal. Rabbi, Ma- Rabbi Mike Foyer, I want to wish you a main, and I want to wish you a uh, happy new month of Nissan. May we have uh, great beginnings uh, and new beginnings and new paths. At the same time, continue to strengthen our path of Spiritual Cafe here and continue to record together. 
for another uh, great year and season. Uh, so happy Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi Mike. Shabbat Shalom, Chodesh Tov, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned. Spiritual Cafe is the first part of our program. We're going to keep going here on the Yishai Fleischer Show, thelandofisrael.com. Write me an email, yishai at thelandofisrael.com. Stay tuned, stay strong, and stay connected, and Shalom.